Today on The Topping Show, Dior sets a new record with Johnny Depp. Former Bud Light marketing manager says the company destroyed the brand in a single week. Trump owns a CNN town hall. DeSantis tours Iowa. Southwest pilots are set to strike. Walmart is using AI to negotiate with vendors. Homeless vets are swapped out for migrants at a hotel. Yahoo could have bought Netflix. All that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking time to today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value added reseller services company with a special proficiency in IT security. I have to say the founder is quite handsome and brilliant. I see him twice a day. He's me, that, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner, you can use a little assistance to the IT. You can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have Dior and Giant Depp making a record deal in the fashion fragrance industry, which I anecdotally knew of something that had existed for quite some time. Now, Dior is a fashion company founded in December of 1946 by Christian Dior, now run by French businessman Bernard Arnault. Bernard also heads up Louis Vuitton. So you could say he probably knows what he's doing considering those are the two of the most prestigious luxury brands, perhaps of all time. Now, one thing I really do respect about Dior, which I think anecdotally, again, I've never used, I would maybe use their product, but they have to sponsor me and they have to sponsor me. Nevertheless, Dior was the only brand that stuck by Johnny Depp when it, during his defamation lawsuit with the human pond scum. I'm trying to think of a good word, a good, how do you describe Amber Heard except as a morally vacuous succubus? Somewhere, someone with the morals or a lack of morals I can't help, possibly comprehend. She falsely accused him of physically hurting her as well as mentally abusing her. Ironically, it was actually the other way around. So she was the one abusing him both physically as well as mentally. And her claim to fame now is being known as someone who defecated in the bed. So a very unsavory person who, of course, still has a job in Hollywood because that's probably what they look for. Nevertheless, when he was accused of this, every brand immediately dropped him, even though, again, at the time he was just accused. Unfortunately, we live in a society that immediately thinks the worst of all the people, never giving anyone the benefit of the doubt. Unless you're on the left, but nevertheless, on average, immediately ousted by society, but Dior believed in him and they kept him on. So they continued to pay him. He was still a brand ambassador for their products that they sell. So I respect them in that regard because loyalty means something. It should mean giving people the benefit of the doubt, especially during their darkest hours. Now, interestingly enough, he just broke record. They just gave him a $20 million deal making it the biggest men's fragrance partnership ever signed. Which is remarkable considering the cost to manufacture that those things are basically nothing. I believe perfume as well as male, male fragrance, they use the throw up from whales. Interestingly enough, ambergrass is the technical term for the high, the best stuff apparently uses the authentic natural made stuff that throws out, again, throw up from a whale is what fancy people are putting on themselves. Fascinating to say the least. But it is revolutionary in terms of a business mark where you get $20 million, how many men buy the product based on his endorsement? I'm not too sure. But $20 million is quite a chunk of change. Now the last record, it smashed. The last record was $12 million, which was by Robert Patterson. No idea who the hell he is, but that was also for Dior. 
And then the one below that, historically speaking, for men's fragrance and having those endorsements was Brad Pitt for Chanel number no. five, probably better than number no. four by one amount. I kid, I have no idea what the hell to do. But again, that's another fragrance thing that was also known as clone. That was for $7 million. So historically speaking, men's fragrance is growing and they have such a large deal. And again, they stuck by him when no one else would. That's certainly an interesting business achievement. I can't imagine getting paid $20 million to say, I wear this whale throw up. Fascinating, but again, good for Jody Tap. Great endorsement and subsequently, their sales will probably increase. Now, going on to the sadder side of the business, you have sales decreasing and content decreasing, AKA with Disney. Now, Disney is recently merging with Hulu to create a quote unquote, one app experience. Now I say quote unquote, cause it's a little bizarre cause the CEO in the same breath, they also said they're gonna have two distinct experiences. So they're gonna merge the street streaming companies, but they're gonna keep them separate. So I don't know if that means you're gonna log in, you're gonna have one login to Disney Plus and then in that you'll have a channel for Hulu. Their statements are a little contradictory in that regard, but nevertheless, it is starting to, they're bleeding money in terms of, they're losing money with that particular part of the business. They only hit the quarterly results to make Wall Street happy thanks to the parks, the theme parks, that's where they were able to make up for the decrease in revenue, decrease in profit from the streaming platform. Now, as they merge these things together, you're having a lot of folks asking, well, what's going on? So the CFO actually confirmed, quote, we realized that we made a lot of content that are not necessarily driving subscriber growth. So yeah, that's a nice way of saying we're spending a lot of money and basically getting nothing in return for it. And this is from the CFO, Christine McCarthy. She also continued to say that Disney will quote, be removing certain content from our platform services and are currently expected to take a impairment charge of approximately 1.5 to $1.8 billion, unquote. So is Disney, like every streaming company or any publishing company that matters, they are desperately trying to find what will make them money and get rid of the things that are bleeding them or losing them money, publishing, creating, writing, authors, books, all those things being some of the riskiest, the risk, highest risk of investment in terms of most of them will cost you money, they won't make you money, but you hope beyond all hopes and venture capital that you'll find the winner. Now, other interesting business news, you have Southwest Pilots voting to strike. More great news for the consumers. Obviously, that's that's a, that's a joke. Now, this, jo this strike is joining the current strike being held by American Airlines union pilots. Now, the union breakdown of the vote was 98% in favor of the strike, and in terms of how many people participated in that, 99% of the people in the union did participate in the vote. So they wholeheartedly do not want to work. I mean, they want to protest and not work. Strike, that's, that's the term they like to use. Now, Union President Casey Murray, in a statement when they were asked about the strike, he, Casey noted, quote, the lack of leadership and the unwillingness to address the failure of our organizations have led us to this point. Our pilots are tired of apologizing to our passengers on behalf of the company that refuses to place its priorities on internal and external customers, unquote. Now, a little bit of this is misplaced in terms of a couple of the latest blunt business blunders in the aviation industry, which led to customers being disgruntled and not hitting, not actually getting on their flights. Part of that was due to the FAA, which is a government organization, the Federal Aviation Association. 
so that some of those technical difficulties were on their part. The other one, I believe it was Southwest, that was a vendor. So I believe it's a firewall or switch misconfiguration that we reported on a couple weeks ago, which did cause flight delays. But again, that wasn't the actual company, that was a vendor. I mean, think of it, rudimentary speaking, think of it as paying an exterminator to come to your house and spray some, some gunk to kill the ants or whatever people have in their houses these days. Well, they're coming on, they're coming on site, and in this example, let's say they leave that little spray bottle of pesticides, and they leave in your garage just for convenience. That's their property. They configured that product. They are storing that product. They're in charge of that product. And let's say for this house example, the little canister of chemicals starts to leak. Well, that's not the homeowner's issue. That's the vendor's issue. That's someone who put it there. They're in charge of that product. Simply put, that's how you could think of how that issue happened with the airline where they had the vendor product go bad. It was on their network. It had a ripple effect leading to flight delays. Now, you probably bolster some things internally because over the past couple of years, there have been some internal blunders and internal technical difficulties. But these airlines should be scared to all hell of going bankrupt. And they do have federal contracts to help bolster their, their revenue and their profits. And it is somewhat of a duopoly where you only have four, maybe three to four real major aviation companies servicing the public. But if you look at any business documentary of why airlines go bankrupt and they go bankrupt especially frequently back in the day but there are two main reasons one the price of fuel and the united states has chosen to be dependent on other countries as opposed to harvesting the fuels we have locally and in fact i think it was 2019 the first time in 50 years we were energy independent nay we were actually greater than that we actually exported more than we use it nevertheless if you look at historically speaking why plane businesses and why airlines go bankrupt is Fuel prices, unions, AKA the increased cost of labor. One of the biggest issues with unions and the aviation in particular, they jack, prices jack up prices exponentially and they, they artificially decrease the amount of talent in the talent pool. They do this by having extremely hard, high bars in order to get in the union. I have a friend who wanted to be a commercial airline pilot his whole life and throughout high school, college, that's everything he was working for. One of the most difficult things he told me about was you have to get the experience, so you have to get the hours of flight to qualify for everything. And then also in order to get become a pilot for one of the major airliner companies, it's quite difficult because the more people you have, the less cost, supply and demand. So they artificially keep the number of pilots very restrictive. So a lot of folks I know, they will actually fly private in terms of their airline, they are pilots for private airlines. They're or small private jets. So we have two major airlines that are going on strike before summer, which I know for people who do va take vacations, I assume that's a big part of their life is the summer vacation. Personally, 105 hours a week can't be beat. I don't fly much. Granted, I prefer three pedals over everything else. Also, who doesn't like a strip search on a TSA? So I like to have a semblance of dignity, dignity so I try to avoid, tra avoid air travel at most all cost. Now, other interesting businesses, you have Walmart utilizing AI to negotiate with vendors. Now, the current technology is being utilized from a, country, a company called Pactum AI. Now, Walmart is telling this chatbot, they're saying, hey, here's the amount of budget we have. Here's a couple other parameters. Go out and negotiate with these companies. And it's able to do it on a scale that's unprecedented in terms of Walmart would have to hire an astronomical more amount of more people to do this 
without the computers. Now, this is allowing Walmart to negotiate up to 2,000 contracts simultaneously with 2,000 vendors. And this is generating an average of savings of 3% for Walmart, which if you ever dealt with Walmart, it is a very high volume game. They don't make a lot of money per unit or per item sold, such as a you know laptop or a little cup, but it's very similar to McDonald's, or like, oh, they're mainly real estate, but it's a little bit of money that you make, multiply that by hundreds of millions of times, that's how they became a global juggernaut in retail and grocery. So to say 3% for Walmart, that's huge. They are gonna love this tool. If they haven't already bought that company, they're gonna certainly utilize that tool as much as they can. Now, interestingly enough, 75% of the suppliers said that they prefer working with the chatbots as opposed to the Walmart human employee. Interestingly enough. Now, perhaps just because computers are a little less harsh in some ways, it's one of those things where if you read about any entrepreneur or most businesses that go to Walmart, it's a very, very unbalanced equation in terms of they have all the power and they can and will change your company like astronomically better overnight in terms of all of a sudden you have the biggest, largest client you could possibly dream about. It's how Kevin O'Leary, one of the Shark Tank founders, famously became extremely wealthy and successful. He had a software company where he taught kids about how to use proper grammar and such, which something that probably should be utilized in America, although I can't help but think that, oh, that's gathered a couple inches of dust. Most people don't know grammar anymore. Nevertheless, because of the massive volume they were able to bring him, the business exploded and it was a huge, huge benefit. But a lot of people are also a little intimidated because Walmart does demand the lowest price to give the customers the lowest price, the best ROI. So perhaps working with a computer is such a little bit more attractive in that regard. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have homeless veterans being swapped out for migrants in New York City, New York hotels. Now, this is coming from a nonprofit. The CEO is Yerk Israel Tone of the Tony Foundation, and she told that the, two, the she told the New York Post that 20 homeless veterans were told that they can no longer be at the hotel and they need to end their stay. And a lot of people are wondering, well, why is this? Is it due to a fiscal reason, as in dollar amount? Is it a cultural reason? What's the, what's the reason behind this? And it's because the, put, the city is willing to pay more for migrants than actual veterans. Now, this nonprofit supporting the veterans were paying the hotel about $88 per veteran per night. Now, the city of New York, they went in and they said, hey, we're going to pay them $200 a night to just host the migrants. And in terms of the scope of the situation, it's currently 20 veterans who have currently just been displaced. Time will tell if hopefully this does not expand in terms of a ripple effect of more veterans losing out on support in the community. But it's interesting to see that the state of New York and the city of New York puts more of a premium on migrants as opposed to people who have fought for, defended for, and given an astronomical amount of both fit mind and body for our country. Interesting political decision, though being the city of New York, I'm not too surprised at all. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have the former Bud Light marketing manager saying that they destroyed his brand in one week. Now. This marketing genius is by the name of Robert Lakey. It's one of those fascinating things where a lot of people don't know the geniuses behind some of those astronomically successful market campaigns in history. Being a business nerd, that's kind of where I love to read and learn about, but the average folks on the street have no idea who he is. Nevertheless, 
He was behind some of the most successful Super Bowl ads in history, especially the brand Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser. Now, he was behind the What's Up commercial, where you have a bunch of frat boys and guys calling each other on the phone, communicating through rudimentary speaking of just the word was up. It's very similar how do men communicate with bro, bra. All thanks to the dictionary, I can learn a little bit about these things. Now, he's behind that. He's also behind the talking the talking frogs of the Super Bowl commercial. So this is the guy who made two of the most famous Super Bowl commercials ever. He's also behind the marketing campaign of Real Men of Genius, which ironically most people nowadays know about because of the parodies people are making after Bud Light chose Dylan Mulvaney as a spokesperson for the brand. So this is someone who had really revolutionized the piss bar company, I mean the, the beer company, to make it a staple of the beer drinking community. And he worked with the company for decades. He actually left in 2009, about four months after InBev, the global beer company out of Belgium, acquired Anheuser-Busch, the parent company behind Bud Light, Budweiser. And when he left, he was noting that even at the time, there was a complete lack of oversight of marketing since InBev was purchasing them. So it was one of those interesting situations where when companies are acquired, a lot of changes are made. And it'd be interesting to see, do they rehire him to try to turn that ship around, to try to regain some of the clients they had lost, to try to rebuild the brand? I mean, or does Bud Light just lean into it? Time shall tell to see what it really becomes. Now, going on to the politics part of the podcast, you have Trump going back to CNN for his first time, I believe, in six years. Now, this is due mainly in the fact that you have John Malone trying to turn around CNN. He was the one who laid off the human potato known as Brian Stelter. He also may speculate he's behind the reason of why they recently laid off Don Lemon, which I'm not sure for a fact, but I believe there should be a campaign on to help save Don Lemon over at uh, GoFundMe. It's called a Don Lemon Aid. That's a joke. Nevertheless, CNN, he's try John is trying to turn around the perception of CNN being a one-sided political hack and trying to wind the clock back a couple of decades where it was very much known for breaking news and being less political. But for my lifetime, it's been a joke, but I was told eons ago they they really did have a balanced news and it was just about news and less politics nevertheless they're a political hack i mean political channel ever since now even as he's trying to turn the ship around you have many cnn employees aghast that they would dare platform a presidential nominee and some of them of course they call him white supremacists they say it's a i believe my favorite comment was it was setting a match to democracy it's setting a match to democracy to have a presidential nominee speak ridiculous to say the least now of course you have political pundits like aoc also aghast that they would ever dare platform trump again and trump did quite quite well in terms of he addressed all the issues that the interviewee had asked him uh, the interviewee was quite combative had a lot of tried to do gotcha questions interestingly enough he kind of did a slam duck in most of them and some people are critiquing him for calling her a nasty woman which Calling Ace of Spades or whatever the saying is, of all the things you could call someone, I don't see that as too pejorative, especially if it's factual. But you know, if that's the worst they can talk about him right now, it'll be interesting to see. Now, other interesting political news: you have DeSantis going to Iowa again. Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, he actually won his first 
race by less than 1% in terms of how many people voted for him. When he ran a second time, he won by about 20%. So he has a proven track record of increasing the amount of people who want to vote for him. Again, something Trump needs to maybe take a leaf out of his book, so to say. Interestingly enough, Ron DeSantis is still not confirmed or said that he's going to run for presidency. A lot of people are speculating he probably will. Now, there's a tornado watch recently that kept Trump away from a rally he was supposed to have in Iowa. And DeSantis, technically, he saw an opportunity. He actually, maybe he's more, less risk averse. He just said, all right, he's going to go there. Now, analysts are stressing how Ron needs to win over New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada as he tries to win over the states. In terms of nationally, Trump is a bit ahead of DeSantis in the polls actually try to measure that. But they try to stress the states where it's relatively close, including Iowa, where DeSantis really wants to get the nominee. He's going to have to be in those states. Now, some analysts have been calling DeSantis socially inept. He's awkward. So it's one of those things where who cares? One of the most biggest cliches of politics is, who would you rather get a beer with? Which, first of all, I wouldn't get a beer. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be a Bud Light either. Nevertheless, Yangling sounds like they're doing pretty good. Oldest brewery in America, their sales are going up exponentially. But it's one of those cliches where it has nothing to do with the job. That's nothing to do with fiscal policy, business policy. It's just a cliche of, what do you rather get a beer with? What you should ask yourself, which most people don't, is who's more qualified? What, what specific campaign promises what policies are going to help me and my family and my business the most i wish more voters had the mental to have the capability to actually advocate the reason they vote for people it's also also comical a little heartbreaking to talk to people and go oh, i'm just going to vote for them because i like them oh can you name one policy that's going to affect your paycheck your taxes your family your business your your property any no i just think they're good and their vote counts just as much as someone who puts hours into research. But nevertheless, interestingly enough, a lot of people are saying he needs to be better at the campaigning. So he actually shook hands with folks at Classic Car Museum in Sioux City. Or if you're never from Iowa, you call it Souks City or whatever. And he did spend some time with Iowa GOP representatives, which again, if he's going to win over the state, get win the primary, he's going to need those grassroots behind him as a lot of people put the weight behind when a local politician puts their brand or their stamp of approval on presidential nominees which could be appropriate so should, many people should be a lot more involved in their local government since that's where a lot of the change happens in most people's day-to-day lives so it makes sense from that regard so he's spending the time with the right people time shall tell if he's able to propel this into a successful nomination now going on to the business blunder of the day we're going back in time a little bit it's resurfaced thanks to an interview Perhaps the business blunder of a lifetime. Now, you have the former CEO of Yahoo, Marissa Mayer, and she was talking about how she regretted not buying Netflix, but instead buying Tumblr. So they purchased Tumblr a few years back for about $4 billion, which used to be a very, well, it used to be a pretty successful app. They'd have videos, photos, what have you. A lot of people were interested in it for, not disgusting, but well, for adult-themed content, that was their niche. They're very similar to OnlyFans. Now, Tumblr was smart enough to, or dumb enough, rather, to shoot themselves in the foot when they removed that content completely because they found out like 78% of their content was adult content. So they tried to redefine the company, and it just crashed and burned it epically. As I suspect that, I believe it's French headquartered, uh, OnlyFans will as well, as they pretend like there's something more than just 
I think my the, my grandparents would call it smut. I don't know if that's in the dictionary anymore. Nevertheless, trying to redefine a whole company is quite difficult and very seldom is successful. It can be done, but Yahoo had the opportunity to buy Netflix, which is now a little contrast. They bought Tumblr for $4 billion, and probably could, at the time, Netflix wasn't valued as much. They're currently worth about $140 billion. And this isn't the first of many business blunders Yahoo made. Business blunders that Yahoo also included, they bought, I believe it was Mark Cuban's company, Broadcast.com, because it was the first full motion video broadcaster for the internet. But the problem was they bought it at the peak of the dot-com boom, the dot-com bubble. So they bought it at the high, struggled to utilize and implement the technology, integrate it with the whole ecosystem of theirs. And they, Yahoo, Yahoo's bought, now been bought and sold more times than I could count. A telecom carrier, Verizon purchased them, then later spun them off, I believe. Nevertheless, to have the opportunity to purchase Netflix for such a discount, and now Netflix is synonymous with the most successful tr streaming platform in history, that's got to be the business blunder of the day, by far. Thank you, everyone, for taking time to tune in today. Can't thank you enough. It always helps the channel to like, subscribe, and content, comment. Also, don't forget, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your enemies, heck, tech, tell anyone and everyone. Stay safe. Fight the good fight.